All right. We'll get rolling here with, with today. We are in chapter 15. We're starting chapter 15 of the book of Mark. We're going to start uh, in verse 1 there. So open up your Bible or turn your Bible on. Um, if you need a Bible, there should be one in the chair in front of you or around you somewhere there. You can grab, and we will get started here in Mark 15. And, and, and Mark 15, as we kind of get there, it's, it's interesting kind of just interplay that's going on here on, on just a lot of levels. And we see, we've just looked at it, and, and we have saw uh, the arrest of Jesus, the betrayal by, uh, by Peter as he was questioned by, by, by folks around him, uh, if, if he was one of the followers of Jesus. And, and so really, what we're really getting into right now is, the, is, the, is kind of the crux of the faith. Uh, the, that word crux is, is an is interesting word. It means to get to the heart of the matter or the most important thing. And, and crux, the word crux is, is that, that we used in that is a Latin word, and it means cross. And, and so this idea that the cross is the heart of the matter, the, the cross is, is everything about our faith and, and what we believe. And, and so here we are, we're, we're getting to the crux of the faith, and, and it's all changing. Jesus' ministry is now changing, and it's it, it's moving out of this place where he's teaching and he's healing and he's revealing himself as, as God to the world around him. And, and he's moving into this place where he's, gonna, he's becoming the sin bearer. He's going to be the one who, who is the Messiah, who is bearing the sins of the world to make salvation with a holy and, and perfect and just God possible for us. And so let's read through it. Uh, we'll read through here. Uh, Chapter 15, verse 1, and as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things, and Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner from whom, for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak 
and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. So as we kind of uh, work our way through this, it's, it's always good, and we, we've been doing this, making a practice of, of going back and forth and looking through the different Gospels because we want to pull together a, a, a bigger account, and we want to, those Gospels, the different Gospels are different perspectives on these different events, and they help us to kind of gather some more information. So if you would, turn to John chapter 18, and we want to read out of that real quick. We'll be starting in verse 28, and it's basically this same account with some different details in it. And in verse 28, it says, Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoke to show what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So are you a king? And Jesus answered him, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born... And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. And so Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone makes himself a king, opposes Caesar. 
So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, behold your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to be crucified. So we have this, this, this whole interplay that, that's going on, and it's, it's going on between uh, Jesus and Pilate and the council, the, the Jewish council, and this guy Barabbas. And, and it's, it's just this interesting thing because... Um, it's an interesting way that the way that Jesus, I think, deals with this. For one thing, Pilate asks Jesus, he says, are you a king? He, he never actually says you are a king. He asks the question, are you a king? And in some translation, it says, Jesus says this. He says, like, it is as you say it is. Like, like what do you say? It, it kind of harkens back to that whole idea of who do you say that I am? Am, am I a king or am I not a king? But I am a king. If I'm a king to you, then I'm king. But if I'm not a king to you, I'm not king. And, and, and it's, it's this picture. It goes back, you know, like with Peter. Who do you say that I am? Well, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Blessed are you, Peter Barjona, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And, and so even here, we see that, that, that Pilate gets kind of this, this personal invitation as to, as to what, how he reviews, how he sees Jesus. Is Jesus king or is he not king? And, and this is something, I think, for us, because what, what we have to recognize about this idea is that we don't really understand kingship. We don't understand lordship because we live kind of here in America and in this democracy, but, but nobody, like, w w the kings, kings aren't really that interested in opinions, feelings, thoughts, any of those kinds of things. The king just is. And, and, and so there's kind of this, this, this saying, this, this idea that, that when we evaluate our own lives and we, we, we think about this, we say, you know, like, is Jesus lord of my life? Is, is he, have I proclaimed him to be king? And, and, and what goes with that is that he's either Lord over all or he isn't Lord at all. It, it, it's really that simple. It, it's, it's simply that we've either surrendered to him and his kingship in our lives or, or, we, or we just haven't. And, and so Pilate here is very much in a, in, in a turmoil. And remember that there's, it's Jerusalem and it's filled with people who have come in particular for the Passover. Jesus has been making these statements. He's, he's cleansed the temple. He's, he's, he's rebuked the religious leaders of the day, and they've, they're just seeking to kill him, but everybody's worried about what's going to go on. Pilate himself is, is, is kind of a governor over <clears throat> Jerusalem here, and, and, and so he's the one who controls the military, and he's also the one who controls uh, capital punishment. And he does not really want to crucify Jesus. He finds no claim because here are the claims against Jesus. Against the, for the Jews, it's, it's the idea of blasphemy, that, that he is claimed to be God, that he is claimed not just to be a son of God, but the son of God, that he is exactly um, begotten 
of the same substance and the same nature and the same character, that he is the I am God of the Old Testament, that he is that one God and that he is here in human flesh. And for the Jews, this is where this blasphemy, where they rip their clothes and they're like, that is enough. But then when they bring Jesus to Pilate, they know that, that Pilate isn't going to, he's not really going to care about that. It, it's not going to matter that much to him that this guy is claiming to be God. As a matter of fact, if you're Roman, then you've got hundreds of gods in the pantheon. And so, so Pilate would likely just be like, hey, what, what's the big deal with one more God? But for the Jews, this is huge. So when the Jews bring Jesus in front of Pilate, they trump up these charges and they, they begin to emphasize this idea that he's claiming to be a king. And, and you see, if he's claiming to be a king with a kingdom, then, then that means that he's in the middle of your place and in your space, and he's challenging the Roman authority at this point. And so, so their, their idea is, is that this is going to be the thing that's going to get Jesus crucified, is, is his challenge, this idea of kingship. But it's funny because Jesus never really answers the question. He, he, never, he never just really just totally answers it. He, it you have said so. Um, in, in, which in a way, I mean, I guess in, a, in an indirect way is, is kind of saying that. But, but um, he just continues to say it is as you've said it is. And, and he's sitting there. And, and the thing about it is he's quite quiet. And... and Honestly, Pilate probably isn't used to that. Pilate is used to people that are in Jesus' situation begging for their lives, just giving up everything, every excuse, because they know this is it. He has the authority to do this thing. But, but Jesus is, is quiet. If we look back at Isaiah 53, we would say that, that he, he didn't open his mouth that he was silent before his accusers. It's, it, it fulfills even a, a prophetic kind of an idea of the Christ, but he doesn't try to make a case. He doesn't try to plead a case because Jesus knows where he's headed at this point. And, and he's, he's moved into this, to this place and this role of, of knowing that he is about to be delivered and that he is about to be crucified. It's an interesting question then that, that Pilate poses to him. He tells Pilate in John, he says, look, I've come for this very purpose, to be king and to testify to truth, right? And Pilate's answer to that is, what is truth? Well, what is truth? It's a great question for us today. It's a, it's, a, it's a subject of struggle in the world that we live in today because we live in a world that is very much subject to the idea or the concept of postmodernism, the idea that there isn't truth anymore, that, that truth is a relative thing, that your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth, other people's truth is their truth, but at the end of the day, it's no big deal because it, it all is going to land at the same place. I'll just tell you that the Bible does not teach that by any means, nor does, I don't think, science I don't think that science even would stand up to that idea that truth is just relative. Truth just is. And truth just is regardless of belief. You see, there's a thing that, that belief has to bow to truth. Truth never bows to belief. In other words, we can believe whatever we want to. It has no bearing on truth. It doesn't change truth one bit. You'll get sick of my analogies, but like I said, 
We could all choose to, we could, we could choose to go up on the roof of the building here. And some of us might say, you know what, try, I don't really believe in gravity. And so I'm going to jump off the edge of the roof. Let me just say that the truth of gravity would take over at that point. And the belief about whether gravity was true or not would be completely irrelevant to the whole situation. So we live in a world that, that basically has been so subjected to this idea of, of truth just being relative, that it's not really true, that there is no truth. Well, you just can't really live like that at the end of the day. I'm just going to say that there are, there are things about living in life that, 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 that you, can't, you can't keep that up, you know? You can't just always be like, well, well, that's not my truth, you know? Well, how come you smack me in the head, try? Well, because that's my truth. thought it was okay. You know, at what point do we begin to kind of bolt down some, some realities in the world around us? And, and so we live in a world right now that is struggling in every realm of reality because truth became fluid. And once truth became fluid, everything becomes fluid. Meaning, purpose, life, gender, marriage, everything now becomes fluid and there isn't anything to, to bolt it down on. Eventually, that kind of thinking and that kind of a way of life will consume us because there's a reality of truth. You see, we, we serve a God who, who brought truth into the universe. The universe runs by truth. And, and it's actually quite brilliant. I'm no good at math, but what I understand about the, the, the mathematics that run the universe is that you can fit the, the equations now on a piece of paper. I think that's that's amazing, if you think about it. Like all of the math that runs, because, and why does math run the universe? It's, it's because there's a creator who's based in truth. And, and if the world that we live in has, has physical truth in it, might we infer from there that there's a creator that also has spiritual truth for us? There was a time in my life where I, I, I gave up the idea of being the centru- truth center, truth central. God of the universe, best job I ever gave up, was the idea that I somehow had control or understanding or an ability <clears throat> to discern truth on the level that only God can. Not only is Jesus tell him that, that you don't have, that, that the truth is, he's asking what truth is, and truth, not just somebody who talks about truth. See, Jesus doesn't just teach truth, he is truth. He's the very embodiment of truth. He doesn't just, he's the one who set it all into motion. He's the one who, who created everything. But, again, Pilate is struggling in this idea of keeping the Pax Romana, or the peace of Rome. And, and he's held accountable to this, and if he loses this, and he knows that everything is on the edge of a riot at this point anyway... And he's trying to step really carefully. But he can't find charges to really, that will stick to Jesus. You see, Jesus has a kingdom, but it's coming in a different way. It's not of this. It's not of this world. And so we want to fight and get mad and, you know, feel like we've been treated unjustly or all kinds of things. But God's kingdom doesn't work that way. God's kingdom is an upside down and backwards kingdom, as a matter of fact. If you want to live, you got to die. You want to be first in this kingdom, you got to be the last. You got to be the servant of all. You want to be the greatest, you have to be the servant. You want to receive, you have to give. 
just upside down and backwards to way, the way that we think. And so, so there's this custom that the Jews have or that Pilate has, I'm not sure, in which at the Passover he's going to release one criminal to them. And, and so now we have this, this decision here between Jesus, it's the idea there of what is truth in that concept, but now basically it, it, it's which one do you want, Barabbas or Jesus? Now there's some really interesting things that are going on here, and, and I want to maybe challenge our thought on Barabbas just a little bit here. When you look at, if you watch like The Passion or something, you see Barabbas is cast as kind of like this maniac. He's cast as like this guy who's just crazy, who's, who's just out there and, 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 and just this awful human, degenerate, degenerative human being, just awful person. But, but that's not really what Scripture says about Barabbas. What, Barabbas what, what Scripture says about Barabbas is this, is that he murdered somebody in an insurrection. So in other words, there was a revolt against Rome, Barabbas was a part of it, and he killed somebody in that. Kind of almost sounds like what Peter meant to do, doesn't it? Peter wanted to be part of an insurrection and was ready to, to go to Jesus, with Jesus and to, and to follow him to his grave and, and takes his sword out and cuts some guy's ear off. He's ready for that too. See, we have to really realize how ingrained this whole idea is to the Jewish people that the Messiah would be the one who came and delivered them from the Roman occupation who delivered them and set them free into, and just expelled the Romans and, and, and renewed the rule and the reign of, of Jewish law, restored everything about, about you know, the, 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 the systems of, of the Jewish people. You know, in, in the book of John, there in, in, in that chapter, uh, Barabbas is called a robber or a thief, right? And so sometimes that's where we start to cast this idea of him. But the, in the Greek... The, the word that is used for him isn't kleptos, which is like the word that would be used for somebody who steals things, like a kleptomaniac, right? That word isn't used. It's a word, it, it's called lestes, and it means like a bandit or a terrorist kind of a thing. So this is the kind of a word that is being used for Barabbas. Now, there's some thought, and there were some early manuscripts that give the idea that Barabbas' name, his first name, was Jesus. Now, that sounds, you're like, whoa, wait a minute. But, but you see, Jesus was Yeshua or Joshua. That's his name, and that was a very common name in the day. So Jesus wasn't the only guy named Jesus. The same as we're not, you know, we have multiple names. We see it in the disciples. We have a couple of Simons. We have a couple of Judases. We have the, these kinds of things. And so now there's some early manuscripts. And again, you won't see it in some of the others, but there is a fairly decent case that this was his name. And so Pilate basically puts on display these two. And he says, which one do you want? Which one do you want me to release to you? Because I'm going to release one to you um, at this point. And, and so, so we've got... Uh, We've got Barabbas, and we've got Jesus. The name Barabbas means, Bar means son of Abba, the father, the son of the father. And so now there's this thing, and he's asking the crowd, who do you want me to release to you? And I'm going to hold this, that 
Barabbas is somewhat of a, of a folk hero at this point. He, he's one of the guys who's, who's, who's went and, and done the insurrection against the Roman armies, and he, he killed somebody in that. He's listed as a terrorist, according to the Romans, but there's this idea that, that he kind of holds this idea of, of Messiah, the one who would come to save them, maybe even in his name, possibly. And, and so, so, so he's asked the question, which one do you want? Which one do you want me to release to you? Which one do you choose as Messiah, almost in a way? Imagery kind of a thing. <clears throat> And they begin to cry out, and it says that the, the chief priests and all of those guys kind of stir the crowd to say, let's get Barabbas. I wonder what they were saying. He's the guy who did it. He's much closer to what the Messiah looks like than the king of the Jews, right? Is that your Messiah? Look at him. He's all beat down. He's beat up, tired, all these things. And, and, and so they, they, they begin to yell, let us have Barabbas the son of the father, and, and he's released to them. And, and sometimes I think that, you know, when we start to think about that idea of like when, when we're faced with this thing like who is Jesus? Is he king? Is he Lord? Is he the Messiah? Is he the one? Or do we sometimes choose something else? Do we choose something else in this concept, in this pursuit of truth that we're all hopefully under? Have we chosen something else? Have, have maybe, maybe sometimes as we choose something, a, a son of the father kind of a thing, a different type of a Messiah, maybe we've chosen the idea that we can just be good, that we're good people, that, that you know, that deep in our heart, you know, we, we basically we're good people, we're productive, we're, we're doing things, and we're, we're, we're productive in, in our community, and we're not hurting people and stuff like that. And if that's the case, why is the rest of this going to play out? You see, if it's okay, if we could just be good, then we'd be okay. And why does Jesus, what's, what's even the crux of the matter here? What's even the cross about if you just have to be good? But see, the problem is, is that the Bible, what it says about good people, it says there aren't any. It says that there are none that are righteous, no, not one. That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That each and every one of us, despite the way that we might perceive ourselves and see ourselves, the reality of it is, is that, is that we've all got stuff in our past that we wish wasn't there. I've got so many things in my past that, that if you knew all about them and you knew all the details, I would be so ashamed. I couldn't even stand up here, to be honest with you. That's, that's the reality of, of, of my life and what I've done and that I violated everything about who I said I would be or what I wanted to be. And in my life, I just, I always fell short, and I, I chose every other kind of a different kind of a Messiah. Maybe it's a different religion. Maybe it's a different belief. Maybe it's a different thought about Jesus. I don't know where you're sitting today, but the Bible is plain, that there's one truth and there's one way, that Jesus, in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father, but through me. The Bible also says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Regardless of where you've been, regardless of how good you've been, regardless of how bad you've been, that you cannot sin God's grace, that there's nothing that would leave you outside of this 
plan of salvation that he has other than you, other than your choice, this idea of who is he? We don't know much about Barabbas other than he's an insurrectionist, he's a murderer. And then we look at that and we, we compare him against Jesus, and Jesus was the only one who was willing to touch a leper. He forgives sin, he heals the lame, he tells them, pick up your mat and walk. He came for the sick, for the marginalized, for those who were outside. He told one guy, stretch, up, stretch out your hand and, in a sense, take mine. He freed people of demonic oppression. He was misunderstood. He taught a new way to live. He left the crowds for one man. He left all the crowds and all the popularity and all of the good things that were going on in his ministry, and he sailed across the lake, across that sea, for one guy. And he delivered that guy from a legion of demons and then set him free into ministry. With the words, wake up, little girl, he overcame death and he gave a grieving father his daughter. With two fish and five loaves, he fed 5,000. He walked on the water and calmed the storm. He corrected the religious elite. See, he taught us that the problem was inside. And no matter how many times we wash the outside of the cup, the inside never gets clean. But if you wash the inside, then the outside can be clean as well. He opened ears to hear, eyes to see. He gave the mute a voice. He tells us he is building his church. He is building his church, not us. He is building his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He warned us not to gain the whole world and lose our soul. He established a kingdom in which the first is last. He invited the children to come to him. He acknowledged the humble contribution of a widow, and he revealed, in so doing, the injustice of the religious elite. He told us how it would end, but he promised to return. You see, he's the creator of the universe. He's the one who stretched out the heavens. He calls the stars out one by one. He counts them. He gives names to them all, and because of who he is, not one of them is missing. He has suspended the earth on nothing. He raises the mountains, he digs out the valleys, and he tells the waves where to stop. He's the infinite, all-powerful creator, and he has now subjected himself to his creation so that he might redeem it. Give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus. There's the real chance that you and I would have picked Barabbas as well. We like to think we wouldn't have, but I don't know. You see, but this is the gospel, and Jesus loves Barabbas. Jesus loves Barabbas. And he stood willing to take his place, to have him be the one who was released, the one who gets to go free. And he stands guilty, even though he's innocent, in his place. You see, it's this idea that we are Barabbas. In this idea that, that he's the son of the father. He's God's son. And, and, and he's guilty of insurrection, and so are we. 
See, we've all are guilty. Each of us, it says, have, have rebelled against God and went our own way and, and done our own things. And this is the heart of the gospel is that God loves you anyway. And even though we're guilty of this insurrection, you see, Jesus stands ready so that we can go free, that, to take the guilt on, and this is where he's headed, this is where we do. How dare we ever try to justify ourselves by being good? If this is what it took, if this is what it looks like. And, and, and so we, just like Barabbas, despite who we've been, despite all of the, the black marks in our past, all of the struggles that we've had, all of the, 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 the hurt that we've caused, all of the deception that we've done in our lives and all of this stuff, Jesus stands in our place so that we can have life, so that we can be forgiven, so that when God looks at you, he'll see Jesus because Jesus is the one who stands between you and the wrath of God. He's the only one that could do this. It's why God had to come as a human being because it was our problem, but only God could deal with it. It was so big, no human being could, could deal with this. Nobody could change this. And so when we trust Jesus, when we, when we just recognize the reality of who he is, that, that he's a king with a very different kingdom, very different from the way that I look at things or think about how things could go. I used to think like somehow I could be good enough. I didn't know really where I sat, though. I knew I sat somewhere between Adolf Hitler and Mother Teresa. <laughs> Not sure where I was at on that spectrum, but I wasn't that good. I wasn't that bad. But where, then where is that? And this is the thing. Where, where then is the line? How do you find a line? But you see, that's not how God has done this, and it's not how he's done this kingdom. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that he's wrapped us all up in sin so that he might be gracious to all of us, that whosoever would call upon his name will be saved. But here's the catch. You got to take the deal. You have to believe that. You have to trust in that. You have to say yes to this deal. You see, God desires a love relationship with each and every one of us. But the only way to have a love relationship is when two choose, right? You see, Anna and I, we, we, we couldn't have a love relationship if I had her duct taped in the basement. That wouldn't really be a love relationship, would it? Only one. We can't have one choose. I think he wants to come up and trust Jesus. I think he's coming up right now. Um. God on his end has said yes. The Bible says that, 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 that he paid not just, but he paid for the sins of the whole world so that whosoever would call upon his name would, would call him king and recognize his lordship in their lives could have eternal life with him in heaven, be forgiven, to live in a, in a new way here not trying to follow a bunch of rules anymore, not trying to be good people and try to follow a bunch of external stuff, but people who have been changed on the inside so that what's coming to the outside looks very different. Uh, uh, people who are motivated on the inside to do what he's called us to do. Remember, he says, if you love me, you'll follow my commands. You'll do the things I call you to do. It'll be an actually, it'll be a... a 
it'll be a manifestation of the reality of your relationship with me if you, if you follow the things I say. See, one of the problems with our nation today is as we reject God and we move away from God, we begin to lose freedom. Why? Because, because the, this nation and the way that it was founded had a real necessity for people to be internally motivated to do the right thing. Well, the only way people are internally motivated to do the right thing is through their relationship with God, through a spiritual change. And, and, and so what happens is that the more that, that you try to hem people in legally, the, the more you begin to uh, take freedom away because it takes more and more laws to hem people in and to hold them in. But God never set a system up like that. It's always meant to be from the inside. And, and so sometimes we're like, well, how do you do that? <clears throat> how do you have a relationship with Jesus? You just ask. You simply, it's, it's not about, you know, there's got the Lord's prayer or the, the sinner's prayer and all that kind of stuff. I'm not against that. It's fine, but you won't find it in the Bible. You'll find the concepts there, but, but the prayer to pray isn't there. It's really about a heart. It's about a heart that, that has come to the end of itself and recognized that, you know what, actually in and of myself, I, I really don't have it. I have a need that's outside of myself. And until we recognize that we have a need outside of ourselves, we'll never recognize our need for a Savior. We'll continue to choose Barabbas or something else as Savior because, and generally it's, it'll be me because I'll just be good enough. See, God doesn't have a problem with your good stuff. He doesn't have issue with that. It's our sin that's at issue. It's the stuff that, that, that we did. See, I like analogies, and I have one. I challenge people with this sometimes. I'm like, okay, here's the deal. If you believe that your good works can outweigh your bad works, then I got a plan. I got a, little, I got a thing for you to try, okay? And if you can make this work, I'll believe maybe. If you can make it work in our legal system, maybe it'll work in God's, okay? Here's the deal. Go to the first stoplight on Main Street, okay? When the light turns green, go 70 miles an hour down to the other end of Main, down by Emit or something now. Go to the truck stop, heck. Just keep going. Go 70, okay? Police are going to pull you over, right? They're not going to be happy at all. They might have, I'm sure they'll probably even have their guns pulled and stuff like that. Good chance they're going to take you to jail, Okay? No worries, though. It's all right. It's part of the plan. You go to jail. Monday morning, you bond out. You get out of jail. You get loose. Here's what you do. First thing, you get back in your car. You go straight back to that stoplight again. When the light turns green, you go 10. And you go 10 all the way, the, the whole way. And be super careful for children and old ladies. Okay? And Tuesday, come back and go 10 again when it turns green. And Wednesday and Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday, and Sunday. And then you go back to court on Monday, okay? Judge comes in and says, what are you thinking? You know, we could have killed somebody out there. Can you explain to me why you went 70 miles an hour down Main Street? You say, hey, shh, hey, shh, just a minute. Here's what you don't know. Okay, I went 70, fine. But here's what you don't know. Monday, I came back after I got out of jail, and I went 10. Tuesday, I went 10. Wednesday, I went 10. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, 10 miles an hour. That's 70 miles under the speed limit. 70 minus 70 is zero. I'll see you later. <laughs> see how ridiculous it seems, the idea that we could just work off our stuff, that we could just be good enough, 
somehow to cancel out the other stuff that we've done? See, we can't, and that's why we have a need for a Savior, and we have a great Savior for our needs. Let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you have done everything so that we might have a relationship with you. We thank you that you held nothing back, that you gave it all, that you were silent before your accusers, and you moved into this place of just taking our place. That the, the capital S, Son of God, allowed the Son of the Father to walk away. You allowed us to walk away from what we've done, from who we've been. And you've just extended grace to us. You, 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 you did everything for us, not because we were good, but because you're good. Not because we did all the right things, but because you did. And so we just want to rest on your accomplished work on the cross. We want to, we want to just receive that. And I just pray over anybody here who's ever thought that they could be good enough Whoever thought that they could just believe the right thing or, or, or that or, or the truth was just a relative thing to just come to this, to, to really pick up and to understand the truth as you tell us, Lord. And we just ask, Lord, I just ask for, for anybody that's never made that, that transaction, who's never said yes to this deal that you proposed to us, who's never accepted and believed on you as the Savior. Lord, I'm just praying that, that today might be the day. Today might be the day that they just simply say, I, I, I need something outside of myself. And Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross in my place and that you offer now eternal life for all who, who, who claim you as king and, and who make you Lord over their lives, that, you've, that you offer forgiveness for our past and you, you, you present us before the Father, holy, righteous, and beyond reproach. And so, Lord, we just, uh, we look to you. We give you the glory, the honor, the praise. We're so grateful that you've done this for us, this thing that we could never do. And, Lord, help us to, to live it out now, to, to believe that, to, to live like that's the truth in our lives, to, to remember to go out of here and to be agents of hope and love and light to, to those who need it this day. Help us, Lord, that we would, that we would, uh, we would just, uh, we would love well. We would represent you in the things that we do as we go about our week. And we ask, Lord, too, that you would set up appointments for us, just opportunities to share love and hope with somebody else this week, to tell them about it. We thank you, Jesus, for all you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.